Let's begin with prayer, so please stand with me. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that Thou would grant to us uh, the mind of Christ, uh, that, uh, Lord, the word that we hear and the word that is taught into us uh, would uh, be um, that which feeds us, that would nourish us, that we would, Lord, uh, be ever so thankful and, and ready to receive and to uh, feed upon our Savior uh, through his word. Lord, we um, confess that that we are uh, sheep that uh, do desire to go our own way. Uh, sometimes we, we find ourselves uh, uh, walking away from the flock, uh, walking our own direction, not following the, the Good Shepherd as we ought. Uh, convict us, Lord, wherein we have uh, done so. Uh, where we, wherein, Lord, we are uh, not following our, our glorious Savior. Uh, in his truth uh, and uh, give to us Lord uh, the grace uh, to repent and turn from that that we may walk in his footsteps for we ask in Jesus name Amen turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 10 we continue our study of this chapter John chapter 10. <clears throat> We're focusing uh, the time that we have together on verses 11 through 15 this evening, but that's uh, within the context of the whole chapter. And so let me begin by reading verse 1 through 15. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd, 
the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling, and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he is an hireling, and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. As we've noted in John chapter 10, uh, Jesus is here addressing the Jewish religious leaders. That uh, conversation with the Jewish religious leaders began in the previous chapter. There's really no uh, discontinuity or break, uh, even though there's a chapter division from John chapter 9 to John chapter 10, um, there's really no uh, break in the continuity of what Christ is, is saying here. He's still speaking in chapter 10 to the same Jewish religious leaders, but he does change uh, his uh, metaphors. Uh, previously, he had talked about the Jewish religious leaders being blind and they needed to see. Here, he's talking about another familiar uh, part of life at that time. Uh, sheep, shepherds, uh, wolves. Um, and so this would again, uh, for Jesus, illustrate this relationship uh, between faithful shepherds and unfaithful shepherds. And he's again accusing the the Pharisees, he's accusing the Jewish religious leaders at that time <clears throat> of not being faithful but unfaithful shepherds and calling them thieves and robbers uh, in this section, first part of John 10. And in the section we're going to be looking at this evening, uh, referring to uh, them as hirelings. And so we'll be looking at, at this uh, this evening. Let's look at... Uh, uh, verse uh, 10, verse 11, I'm sorry. Verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. And because Jesus is the good shepherd, um, any who would be faithful shepherds must walk uh, after the good shepherd. Uh, a good, the good shepherd is the one who's going to teach uh, earthly shepherds how they are to, to pastor, how they are to lead their flock. Uh, Jesus has given in the, uh, what's called the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Not some things what I've commanded you, but all things that I've commanded you, and only the things that I've commanded you. Don't introduce your own ideas. Don't innovate. Teach what I have commanded you. That's what Jesus tells uh, faithful shepherds to do. And uh, those who are faithful will walk uh, accordingly. <clears throat> Whereas in verse 2 of John 10, 
says, but he that entereth in by the door is, it's, uh, in the King James it says, the shepherd of the sheep, but actually in the, in the Greek text, uh, there is no definite article. It's actually, but he that entereth in by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. So in that passage there, it's talking about, uh, again, earthly pastors, earthly shepherds, faithful ones. But in verse 11, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, there um, the definite article, the is, in the Greek text. So he's not talking about faithful shepherds in general. He's talking in verse 11 about himself in particular. I am the good shepherd. Actually, the definite article is not used once, it's used twice. Uh, where he refers to himself, he says that I am the shepherd, the shepherd, the good one. Uh, that's, that's how the, uh, the Greek text would be translated literally. And so Jesus then describes the defining quality of the good shepherd. And we see here that he willingly gives his life for the sheep. Uh, that's that's the characteristic about the Lord Jesus. And I might say by application, uh, the characteristic of faithful shepherds who are following uh, in the path of the good shepherd, that they likewise are those who willingly give themselves up for the sheep. And so here, here again, uh, the uh, good shepherd, uh, we read, uh, he so loves the sheep rather than thinking of himself that he has really the sheep's uh, salvation, preservation, has the sheep's good in mind in what he does. And that's, that's again the nature of the Lord Jesus. He, he left the glories of heaven. He became... Uh, uh, one of us, uh, he was tempted, he was tried, uh, he was uh, uh, beaten, he was scourged, uh, he was uh, treated in every way uh, in, a, uh, in a very scornful way um, uh, by those who hated and despised him. And so here we see again that uh, the, uh, the characteristic uh, of the Lord Jesus is that he lays down, he gives his life for the sheep. So in this verse 11, I want you to note two things uh, about this. Uh, the giving of his life for the sheep, what does that mean? Well, it means that he is sacrificed on behalf of the sheep. He sacrificed on behalf of the sheep, in the place of the sheep. He takes their place. Uh, rather than the curse of God falling upon them, rather than the curse of God falling upon the sheep, the curse of God fell upon Jesus Christ instead of the sheep. He took their place. He died upon the cross, he bore the wrath of God that the wrath of God might not fall upon the sheep. Thus, as we think about this, 
all those for whom Christ died as a curse will never have to suffer the curse. If Jesus died for the sheep, the sheep will never have to pay that debt of sin for which Jesus died. He paid it all. And so whoever does suffer God's curse in hell, we have to conclude we're not Christ's sheep. Otherwise, they wouldn't be in hell. You remember, in, uh, just to illustrate this point, in Matthew 25, verses 31 through 32, Matthew 25, verses 31 through 32, <clears throat> Jesus uh, is speaking and he's talking about the final judgment when all appear before him. And notice how he describes that final judgment. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. So, and then it speaks of that his sheep, that in the same uh, section, Matthew 25, he'll put his sheep on one side and the goats on the other side. Who are the sheep? The sheep are the ones that are saved. Sheep are the ones who trust in Jesus Christ alone for their eternal salvation. The goats are those who do not uh, trust in Jesus Christ. They are bearing uh, the wrath of God for their own sins. They are called goats. So back to John chapter 10, uh, Jesus says that he lays down his life for the sheep, not for the goats. The goats, Jesus did not die to save. Am I making something up? No, I'm simply, I'm simply stating what Jesus says himself. There are sheep, there are goats. Jesus says, I came and I laid down my life for the sheep. He lays down his life and suffers the curse of God for those who come to believe in him, those who were chosen in Christ Jesus, even from, from the foundation of the earth, before the earth was formed. Those are his sheep. Notice uh, back to John chapter 10, and we'll get to the, these verses eventually in John chapter 10. <clears throat> Jesus says to these unbelieving religious leaders in John 10, 26, but ye believe not because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. Okay, so if they're not of his sheep, and Jesus says he died for his sheep, did he die for them? No. He only died for his sheep. He's already said, you're not of my sheep. So he didn't die uh, but, and suffer the curse of God for them, simply allowing Jesus to define his own terms. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and, know, and I know them and they follow me. Those are his sheep. Those who hear 
Christ's voice and believe and those who know and those who follow him uh, that is obey him follow his commandments those are his sheep for those Jesus came to die <clears throat> verses 12 through 13 but he that is an hireling and not the shepherd whose own the sheep are not seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep the hireling fleeth because he is an hireling and careth not for the sheep. So whereas earlier in this same chapter, John 10, Jesus, uh, he likened the Jewish religious leaders to thieves and robbers who jump over the wall uh, instead of coming through him the door, um, now he likens them to hirelings. Uh, Hirelings are just mere hired servants. Uh, they don't own the sheep. Uh, they're not uh, the hireling's sheep, but they're just hired uh, temporarily uh, to care for the sheep, to, to watch the sheep. Here Jesus describes the, the hireling as one who does not protect the sheep uh, from the wolves. The wolves are the predator, the chief predator of the sheep, um, and uh, the hirelings do not protect the sheep from the wolves. Uh, they, in fact, uh, run away when the wolves attack the sheep. Why? Because they're not, the sheep are not uh, the sheep of the hireling. They're the sheep of the shepherd, of the faithful shepherd, of the good shepherd. You see, the hireling has not paid to... Uh, purchase those sheep they are not his own and so he runs in fear for his own life leaving the sheep to the cruelty of the wolves so the the hireling is just punching a clock as it were uh, it's his job to make some money uh, but he doesn't really care uh, for uh, the sheep I suppose it might liken it to uh, a parent who cares for a child and a babysitter who's hired for a time. How do you compare a loving parent and caring for a child and uh, a mere babysitter um, who's just hired uh, to watch the uh, children for a brief period of time? Uh, the mother is not going to leave that child, no matter what kind of danger arises. The mother is going to take care of that child, is going to care, as well as a father. Uh, but, uh, but uh, you know, one who's just hired when danger arises, uh, very likely is not going to be thinking first and foremost of, of that child, but of, one's, but of the, uh, the babysitter's own life. And so likewise, a hireling, uh, to, that is hired to watch the sheep. And so Jesus is basically in this parable saying Jewish religious leaders, uh, they do not truly care for the sheep, but rather they care for their own names, their own titles, their own exaltation, the approval that they find among men, 
the money that they can make uh, off of uh, caring for the sheep. That's all they really care about. They like to be called rabbi. They like to be called teacher. Uh, uh, but as far as caring for the souls of the sheep and feeding the pure word of God to the sheep, no, uh, they, don't, uh, they don't care about that at all. They love themselves. They don't love the sheep. And they, they do not warn the sheep about the, the devilish wolves uh, who are bringing about uh, false teaching. Uh, that's not of their concern either. They leave uh, the sheep in the hands of these cruel wolves uh, who scatter the sheep. So there are two, uh, two groups of people here that Jesus speaks of. Uh, and I think that we can learn from these two groups of people, we can kind of see in our own context uh, these same two groups of people, hirelings and wolves. Hirelings, I would submit, are they're unfaithful shepherds who may not be introducing necessarily false doctrine, but they don't love the sheep. They don't care for the sheep. They don't defend the sheep from the wolves. Wolves, on the other hand, are false prophets, false teachers, who do introduce that which is clearly contrary to what Jesus Christ has taught us in his word. Jesus, in Matthew 7.15, likened uh, false teachers false prophets to ravening wolves. Matthew 7, 15. Beware of false teachers which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. They are ravening wolves because they seek to devour the flock. Again, the hireling just isn't paying really too much attention isn't really caring for the souls of the sheep, but the ravening wolves, they want to devour the flock. The Apostle Paul uh, prophesied to the Ephesian eldership in Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 30, that uh, from among them, from among the midst of these elders that he was actually speaking to that there would arise from among them grievous wolves that would not spare the flock. He says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Notice again there, just like Jesus laid down his life for the sheep, here it says, Paul says that Jesus purchased uh, the church of God with his own blood. It doesn't say he purchased uh, uh, those who uh, never come to believe in him. Uh, 
with his own blood, but he purchased the church of God with his own blood. And then Paul goes on to say, for I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. And this is, this is particularly sobering. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. In other words, that same group to whom he's speaking, Paul is prophesying, saying, from among even you there's going to rise up grievous wolves that seek to uh, introduce uh, that which is perverse and corrupt to draw away disciples after them, grievous wolves from among you. But the good shepherd, unlike the hireling, that is Jesus, and I would sum submit to you that all faithful shepherds who follow in the footsteps of the good shepherd will not desert the flock, but will rather give, the good shepherd will give his life for the flock. Faithful shepherds, likewise, will lay down their lives for the flock because they're walking in the footsteps of the good shepherd. When serving as a pastor, that is a shepherd of the flock, a pastor means shepherd. When sh serving as a pastor or a shepherd of the flock is just a job. It's just a job that one does for earthly reasons. One is merely a hireling. When it's just a job, that's a hireling. Not a, it's, not a, it's not a calling. Uh, to the hireling. It's just a job. But a faithful shepherd, again, it's a calling. He will not abandon the flock entrusted to him. If persecution comes, uh, the faithful shepherd uh, will not think of uh, his own life first any more than the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, will think of his own life first over that of the sheep. Uh, a faithful shepherd may indeed, according to what Jesus says in Matthew 10, 23, the faithful shepherd uh, may flee persecution, but he doesn't do so in order to abandon or desert the, the sheep. He does so in order that tomorrow, the next day, he may be able to minister to the sheep. Acts 15 um, the Apostle Paul and Barnabas are given this kind of commendation. Notice what it says. This is uh, a letter that was written by the apostles and elders uh, in Jerusalem and was sent to along with uh, Paul and Barnabas uh, to, uh, as they went to other churches to carry this message to these other churches. It says uh, in, in this letter that was sent, in verse 25 and verse 26, it seemed good unto us being assembled with one accord to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul. Now notice what it says about Barnabas and Paul. 
men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. They've hazarded their lives. They've been willing to suffer uh, for the sake of Jesus Christ in caring for the sheep. Likewise, in Acts 20, verse 24, <clears throat> the Apostle Paul was told that, that uh, certain uh, persecution awaited him if he went back to Jerusalem. This was his response in verse 24. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. So again, um, uh, a faithful shepherd, uh, his life uh, is, is not uh, more important than the lives of the sheep that he is called to shepherd. In Acts 21, verse 13, likewise, He says again to those who were saying that trouble awaited him in Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. That's a faithful shepherd. The faithful shepherd loves the sheep and is willing to to lay down his life for the sheep because, not because he is in himself good, but he is walking in the footsteps of the good shepherd. That's what the good shepherd does. And I, I want to say that as much damage, if not more damage, uh, has been done to churches by hirelings and wolves, as has been done to churches by the enticements of the world, by a secular culture, and by a persecuting state. More damage, I submit to you, has been done to the Church of Jesus Christ by hirelings and wolves than by anything else. That's why it is so important that shepherds of the sheep Faithful shepherds of the sheep be qualified and proven in doctrine and in life, according to 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. And when a church has such faithful shepherds, it's the duty of the sheep to want to be fed. If there are faithful shepherds to feed the flock, the duty of the flock is, I want to be fed. I want to learn. I want to grow under the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, who has given faithful shepherds to us. Verse 14, John 10, 14. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine, Jesus says. So this is repeat, a repeat of what he says in verse 11 when he says, I am the good shepherd. 
uh, Jesus, uh, when he repeats something like that, um, it's not because he forgot what he had said previously. He repeats it uh, for emphasis. Uh, when uh, children, young people, your parents repeat something to you, it's not saying I'm repeating it to you because you necessarily have forgotten, but I'm repeating this to you because I want to emphasize this, that this is very, very important. This is very important. I don't want you to forget it. I want you to pay attention. This is really important. So Jesus is saying, I am the good shepherd because this is the truth. He does not want those who are hearing him now to uh, overlook at all or to forget. So Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd and know my sheep. This knowing of the sheep by the good shepherd, by Jesus Christ, uh, it's not a mere intuitive knowledge of the sheep, but it's a knowing that we would describe as a loving, intimate knowing of the sheep. Uh, throughout the Bible, um, the, the phrase is used, whether in the Old or New Testaments, is used um, to know as a, a, a synonym, as a uh, way of speaking of marital intimacy, to know. Uh, for example, it says in Genesis 4.1 that Adam knew his wife, Eve, and she conceived. Likewise, it says that uh, Elkanah uh, knew his wife, Hannah, in 1 Samuel 1.19, and she conceived. And so this, this idea of knowing, when it says here, Jesus says, he knows his sheep. It's not just saying, you know, I, I know something about my sheep. I know them intimately. I know them with a loving knowledge, a caring knowledge, a saving knowledge, a preserving knowledge. I know them in that sense. In fact, we only know Jesus by faith because he first knew us from all eternity. Just like it says in 1 John that we love him because he first loved us, so we know him because he first knew us intimately. He first knew us uh, in love from all eternity. He chose us in love to be his own. It's the God of the Bible, dear ones, not, not, not other religions that talk about this kind of loving knowledge. This is found in biblical Christianity, but it's not found in other religions. Uh, it's not found uh, in uh, Judaism. It's not found in... Uh, Hinduism, Buddhism is not founded in Islam. This, this idea of knowing with a, uh, uh, an intimate knowledge. Uh, God knows us, his people, his sheep. Jesus knows us in that sense. Um, he knows you better than you know your spouse, better than you know your children, and loves you more as his people than you love your own children. His love for for his sheep um, is infinite. 
it's demonstrated in the fact that he was willing to suffer um, basically um, hell uh, upon that cross for his loved ones, for his sheep. And so no matter what you may be going through, never ever forget uh, that you who are his sheep, who trust in him, he loves you with an everlasting love. Nothing can deter him, nothing can shake that intimate love that he has, knowledge that he has for you, his people. It distinguishes biblical Christianity from every other religion that we uh, know of or that may be uh, described. Nothing like uh, the love of Jesus Christ for his sheep. And I would say, again, talking about uh, the faithful shepherd. Uh, likewise, a faithful shepherd knows the sheep, uh, his sheep by name. He loves his sheep. He prays for his sheep. He knows them by way of a personal relationship to some degree. Obviously, he knows some of his sheep better than others, but uh, he knows his sheep. He's not a foreigner. He's not a, a stranger. Um, in fact, I would say one way to tell that a church has become too large and is more like a corporation than like a flock is if the pastor is a CEO that does not know the names of the sheep in his congregation, in his church, and has no personal relationship at all with them. The model left to us, I'd say that if that's the case, it's time to divide that church into so many divisions where there are shepherds that can care for those sheep. But the model left to us here by the Lord Jesus is that of a shepherd who knows his sheep and is known by his sheep. So it's a, a mutual relationship. Uh, the sheep, uh, the shepherd knows the sheep, loves the sheep, the sheep know, and they love their shepherd. John ten fifteen. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So here, the Lord Jesus gives us the divine pattern that the shepherd and the sheep are to follow uh, uh, is the nearness of love that exists between the father and the son. So the, the shepherd and the sheep are to follow that example, not the example of the world, uh, but the example of the love that the father has for the son and the son has for the father that's the pattern of love that the shepherd is to have for the sheep and the sheep are to have for the shepherd. Obviously, uh, as sinful human beings, we can never fully see that realized, a perfect love, uh, one for another. And yet it is the example that is held out for us. That's what we are to look to. That is an example to follow. That's what we're to pray for. 
Lord, help my love as a shepherd for my sheep to be mirrored, uh, to be mirroring the love the Father has for the Son. And the sheep are praying, Lord, let my love for my shepherd mirror the love that Jesus has for the Father, the Son has for the Father. That's what we are given here. That's the pattern that we are given. There's a mutual love for one another, shepherd for the sheep, sheep for the shepherd. There's a mutual love. There's a mutual caring. There's a mutual respect between the faithful shepherd and the sheep. Jesus, as the good shepherd, not only knows with loving intimacy his sheep, but he displays that again in verse 15. He says, and I lay down my life for the sheep. He displays it by being, having uh, been willing to lay down his life on behalf of the sheep, to take the curse that they, that they deserve, to bear it for them. You see, this is the nature, and this is what I want to close on this evening. This is the nature of Christ's love, what we call agape. Christ's love that's implanted in the heart of every true Christian and every true believer, that love that's implanted uh, is a sacrificial love. It's a sacrificial love. Jesus' love is one of laying down his life for the sheep. Not uh, thinking again, first and foremost of oneself, but being uh, one to think of the one who is loved. It's a love that de it willingly denies oneself in order to give to the one that is loved. Um, anything else is not love, it's lust. Uh, the the world does not understand, truly know, obviously, Christ's love. But that, uh, and, and what they call love, uh, very often, is simply a, a lust. <clears throat> Thinking, I want that. I, I need that. It's all about our, uh, oneself. It's not about the one one claims to love. A true biblical love, Christ's love, is a sacrificial love. It's a love that gives that which is good and right and righteous uh, to the one that is loved. Not that which is harmful. Not that, one, not that which is destructive. Not that which is spiritually going to harm or hurt the one that is claimed to be loved. If we truly love, we give that which is good. Sometimes the one who, whom we love may not even want that which is good for them. If you love your children, uh, you're going to give to them many times things that they don't want, things that they're not asking for, uh, like correction, uh, like a discipline, uh, like uh, eating a healthy diet uh, because you love them, uh, because you care for them. Um, 
And so love is not defined by giving to one what they want, but it, giving to one what is good, what is right, what is agreeable to God's word. That's true love. John fifteen thirteen says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. If we love someone, and, uh, you know, if uh, someone says to you, do you love your, do you love your children? Uh, do you love your spouse? Uh, would you be willing to lay down your life for your children? Would you be willing to lay down your life for your spouse? And, and uh, I think most people say, yes, of course I would. I love my spouse. I love my, my children. But, uh, you know, it's, it's very easy to say, I'm willing to lay down my life for them. But how do we demonstrate that? We're willing to lay down our life for them every single day. That's how we know whether we're really willing to lay down our life for the one we say we love. Are we willing to deny ourselves for the sake of the one that's loved? Are we willing to sacrifice ourselves for the one that is loved every day? Not just if it comes to taking a bullet uh, for the one that is loved, but every day. That's where we prove and demonstrate that we truly love the one we say that we love. We must not, dear ones, lay down God's will for the sake of another. That's not true love, but we must lay down our own will for the sake of others, for the sake of the one that is loved. Would we really lay down our lives for the one we say we love if we're not even willing to lay down our preferences? for the one that we say that we love? These are challenging questions to us all. May Christ's sacrificial love be evidenced in our marriages. Because I tell you, dear ones, if it doesn't work there, Christ's sacrificial love doesn't work there, I submit to you it doesn't work at all. If, it, if it's not working in our families, if it's not working in our marriages, then it's not working. Then we need to really say, why isn't it working? Where am I failing to show and to demonstrate the sacrificial love of Christ? Because we can't blame it upon the other person. Because we're still called to exercise Christ's sacrificial love, regardless of how someone else receives it or acts or whatever they do. We still have the duty to exercise and show forth Christ's sacrificial love. It's Christ's sacrificial love, dear ones, that breaks down walls and barriers that are between spouses, parents, and children. It's his sacrificial love that breaks those walls down if they ever come down. It's, it's due to Christ's sacrificial love 
just as it broke down the walls and barriers of sin and pride that separated us from Jesus Christ. It was his sacrificial love for us that broke down those walls. His going to the cross for us that broke down those walls, those barriers. And so likewise, it's that same sacrificial love that God uses to break down all kinds of walls and barriers that separate us one from another. May God so work in our lives to break down those walls. Let's stand and as we conclude tonight in prayer. Heavenly Father, we see how far short we fall, all of us, in uh, having that sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. It's easy to say that we would lay down our lives for one another, but uh, Lord, uh, the, the proof, the evidence is in our day-to-day living And uh, Father, we pray that that day-to-day living would evidence change in our hearts that the love of Jesus Christ and his bearing the curse for us, him denying himself, him uh, going to the cross and bearing thy holy wrath that we deserved. Lord, if that does not change our lives, then something is desperately wrong. We pray, Lord, work in a mighty way in our hearts and lives that we would love Thee and that in loving Thee we would love Thy truth, we would love Thy gospel, we would love Thy commandments, we would love one another. We ask, Lord, hear our prayers this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Any questions uh, from the study this evening? All right, thank you all for joining us.